This is July 23, and every day is a holiday with Mary Stone. This is our podcast celebrating every day of everyone's life. Our message is simple, and it is that we are all of one spirit. What does that mean? It means that we need to focus on our individual faith's legacy of joy, rather than sapping energy to our differences and feeding our separateness. We are all of one spirit. Holidays, holy days, happy days. We celebrate life, love, loss, and legacy. This is our Commonwealth. Today is the feast day of Bridget of Sweden, a mystic and saint, and founder of the Bridgetines nuns and monks after the death of her husband of 20 years. Saint Birgitta was the daughter of Upland's Lagman, Berger Peterson, and his wife, Ingeborg, who was a member of the same clan as the reigning family. Birgitta's family was pious. Her father went to confession every Friday and made long and arduous pilgrimages as far away as the Holy Land. Birgitta's mother died, leaving Birgitta 10 years old, Catherine 9, and a newborn baby boy, Israel. The children were sent to their maternal aunt for further education and care. It seems that as a young child, Birgitta had a dream vision of the Man of Sorrows. This dream was very vivid. Birgitta asked him who had done that to him. His answer, all those who despise my love. The memory of this dream never left Birgitta and may have even left an indelible mark on her subconscious. As was was usual during the Middle Ages, Birgitta was married when she was 13 years old to a young man, Ulf Goodmarsen, with whom she had eight children, four daughters, and four sons. All of them survived infancy, and that was very rare at that time. When the king of Sweden, Magnus Eriksson, married Blanche of Namur, he asked his kinswoman, Birgitta, to come and be lady-in-waiting and to teach the young queen the language and customs of her new country. After years of service at court, Birgitta and Ulf made the long pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela. On their return journey, Ulf became dangerously ill in Arras. Birgitta feared for his death and sat all night by his bed praying. And then a bishop appeared to her, promised that Ulf would recover, and God had great things for her to do. He told her he was Dennis, patron of France. Ulf recovered and was able to continue his work as Langman in the province of Naki until early in the year 1344, when he was very ill. So Birgitta took him to the monks at Alvastra, where he died and was buried. Birgitta remained in the little house near the abbey, and she spent long hours in prayer by Ulf's grave. She said she loved him like my own body. She arranged her affairs among her children and various charities and prayed for guidance. She was 41 years old and in the abbey of at Alvestra, God called her to be my bride in my canal. He gave her the task of founding new religious order, mainly for women. He said that the other orders had fallen into decay, and this new order would be a vineyard whose wine would 
revify the church. He showed her how her abbey church was to be built, gave directions concerning the clothing and prayers of nuns, 60 in all, who needed priests as chaplains, 13 priests, four deacons, and eight lay brothers. These two communities were to be ruled by an abbess, who was to represent the Blessed Virgin Mary, together with the apostles in the upper room in Jerusalem. In the early morning hours of July 23, 1967, one of the worst riots in U.S. history breaks out on the 12th Street in the heart of Detroit's predominantly African-American inner city. By the time it was quelled four days later by 7,000 National Guard and U.S. Army troops, 43 people were dead, 342 injured, and nearly 1,400 buildings had been burned. By the summer of 1967, the predominantly African-American neighborhood of Virginia Park was ready to explode. Some 60,000 poor people were crammed into the neighborhood's 460 acres, living in squalor in divided and subdivided apartments. The Detroit's police department, which had only about 50 African-Americans at the time, was viewed as a white occupying army. The only other whites seen in the neighborhood commuted from the suburbs to run their stores on 12th Street. At night, 12th Street was the center of Detroit inner city nightlife, both legal and illegal. At the corner of 12th and Claremont, William Scott operated an illegal after-hours club on weekends out of the office of the United Community League for C Civic Action, a civil rights group. The police vice squad often raided establishments like this on 12th Street, and at 3.35 a.m. on Sunday morning, July 23, they moved against Scott's Club. That night, the establishment was hosting a party for several veterans, including two servicemen recently returned from Vietnam, and the bar's patrons were reluctant to leave. Out in the street, a crowd began to gather as police waited for paddy wagons to take 85 patrons away. Tensions between area blacks and police were high at the time, partly because of a rumor, later proved to be untrue, that police had shot and killed a black prostitute two days before. Then a rumor began to circulate that the vice squad had beaten one of the women being arrested. An hour passed before the last prisoner was taken away, and by then about 200 onlookers lined the street. A bottle crashed into the street. The remaining police ignored it, but then more bottles were thrown, including one through the window of a patrol car. The police fled as a riot erupted. Within an hour, thousands of people had spilled out onto the street. Looting began on 12th Street, and some whites arrived to join in. Around 6.30 a.m., the first fire broke out, and soon, much of the street was set ablaze. By mid-morning, every policeman and fireman in Detroit was called to duty. On 12th Street, officers fought to control the mob. Firemen were attacked as they tried to battle the flames. Detroit Mayor Jerome P. Kavanaugh asked Michigan Governor George Romney to send in the state police, but these 300 more officers could not keep the riot from spreading 
to a 100 block area around Virginia Park. The National Guard was called in shortly after, but didn't arrive until evening. By the end of the day, more than 1,000 were arrested, but still the riot kept growing. Five people were dead. On Monday, 16 people were killed, most by police or guardsmen. Snipers fired at firemen, and fire hoses were cut. Governor Romney asked President Lyndon Johnson to send in U.S. troops. Nearly 2,000 Army paratroopers arrived on Tuesday and began patrolling the streets in tanks and armored carriers. Ten more people died that day, and 12 more on Wednesday. On Thursday, July 27th, order was finally restored. More than 7,000 people were arrested during the four days of rioting a total of 43 killed. Some 1,700 stores were looted and nearly 1,400 buildings burned, causing $50 million in property damage. Some 5,000 people were left homeless. The so-called 12th Street Riot was the worst U.S. riot in 100 years, occurring during a period of numerous riots in America. A report by the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders appointed by President Johnson, identified more than 150 riots or major disorders between 1965 and 1968. In 1967 alone, 83 people were killed and 1,800 were injured, the majority of them African Americans. And property valued at more than 100 million was damaged, looted, or destroyed. Residents of Detroit plagued with crime and blight for decades, had been waiting for it to become the Renaissance City, that one of its nicknames heralds it to be since the 1980s. But it seems as Detroit's time has finally come, or at least it's on its way. In recent years, the Michigan City has been called the New Brooklyn, enough to annoy residents of both areas. But with an influx of restaurants and creative cocktail bars, that rival any in the U.S., and an art and design scene finally getting the attention it deserves, the comparison isn't so far off. So you see, there's always a holiday somewhere on this planet. Find a reason for joy and share it. Thank you for sharing your time with us. I'm Mary Stone, the Irreverent Interfaith Reverend, with my writing partner, the Holy Mess, and Holy Nice, Brian O'Malley.